Hello and welcome to Reading in Bed Extracts with me, Amanda Steele. I'm one half of the main Reading in Bed podcast team. And on both of these podcasts, we don't have paid advertising, so I ask listeners to support us in other ways. So today, if you're in the UK and you're interested in reading books on Kindle Unlimited and having a 30-day free trial, I'm going to include an affiliate link and if you want to support us, you can click on that, get free books for 30 days and also help to support us. So on to the extract for today. So I'm going to read two extracts today from the same book and it's called Before and After, written by Andrew Shanahan. And the first extract is from the beginning of chapter one. Tuesday, 4th of August, 2020, £601. The fireman who falls to his death is Carl, and the one who kicks him out of the window is Carl. It seems like such a pointless thing to remember, but when the two firemen first arrive at my flat, Carl makes a big thing about him being Carl with a C, and his colleague being Carl with a K. It would be more accurate to say Carl with a C is the one who compulsively chips in gags and catchphrases, and Carl with a K is the one who mostly works in tight-jawed silence. It's the sort of bobbins you say when there's very little that needs to be said and silence is awkward. Everyone who has been through the flat that morning has their own versions of this mouth noise. Mostly it consists of a series of introductions and overly cheerful explanations. Hi Ben, I'm Josie. I'm the lead bariatric nurse and I'll be helping to move you and make sure you're comfortable until we get to the hospital. Hi Ben, I'm Dr Ash and I'm responsible for making sure that you're all fit and healthy for the big move. Hi Ben, I'm Lloyd and I'm one of the diabetic nurses that will be getting you safely out of your flat and into the ambulance. There are more, I tune them out after a bit. First name stuff is supposed to be reassuring and make me feel empowered. They all call me Ben once they've established that I'm happy to be referred to that way. Ultimately, it makes it seem like we are a bunch of mates who get together occasionally to lift a £601 man out of the front door of his home with a crane. All very standard stuff, very normal. Another of the inanities that they all individually ask me to repeat and confirm what it is that's been done. So I tell them all repeatedly that I am having my leg amputated and once that is established, then we confirm which leg it is. They all ask me to go through the process, even though Dr Ash has already drawn on my right leg and signed his initials. It's surreal to watch him do this and barely feel a thing, thanks to the nerve damage from the diabetes. Even without the messy FA scrawled on my leg, I hope it would be apparent to anyone even vaguely medically trained. Which one is the poly leg? Of the nasty sunburn who, drifts of peeling white skin and mottled purple and black patches don't give it away, then the four inch scab on the top of my right foot should clinch it. So, you're having your right lower leg amputated, is that correct? That is correct. And you've had the process of what's happening to you today explained? Yes. At least a thousand times. And do you have any questions? Yes, how did I get into this position? What went wrong? Who will care for Brown? Why can't I stop thinking about eating? Am I worth saving? 
No, it's all very clear, thank you. The next extract comes from further along in chapter 1, after everything starts to go wrong. Carl steps over me and smashes his boot into the wall again. The flat seems to shake, and the crucifix falls and bounces off the fireplace. Jesus lays spread eagled face down on the carpet next to me. Carl coughs loudly and takes a deep, painful breath. He groans and his hand comes up to his side. As he hurt himself kicking the wall, Carl is watching, speechless. Carl moves quickly to the opposite corner of the room near the open wall where I can't see him and he retches. I hear a thick gush of fluid splattering. Are you okay? What's the matter? What happened? I shout. Mate, what's going on? Do you need me to get someone? Carl asks, moving over to his colleague. I look at the ceiling and a rich bile smell fills the flat, which makes me gag. I realise that if I am sick, I might not be able to turn my head enough to avoid choking on it. I force myself to take calm, measured breaths through my mouth and to focus on the drab beige paint on the wood chip ceiling. Mum hated the wood chip. Beyond the flat, I hear a sound like someone dropping a large metal item in a skip, and then wailing screams and the different pitches of three or four car alarms. This is the sound of grinding metal and the whump of an explosion. Please, take my straps off. What's happening? I scream. Shut up, Carl shouts. What's the matter, mate? Carl? Mate, you're worrying me. Should I tell Central? The sound of more retching, an inhuman hurl that sounds like someone turning themselves inside out. Please let me up, I scream, unable to keep the terror out of my voice now. Please, you're firemen. You have to help me out. Shut up, Carl screams. His voice sounds scratchy and hoarse. Everything you've taken out of this system. I know people like you. You take and you take and you take. What's the point of you? What have you offered? Carl suddenly looms over me and raises his boot above my head. I stare at him and my only thought is who will look after Brown when I am dead. As the boot begins to travel towards my head, Carl launches himself and barges into Carl from behind, sending himself sprawling onto my bed. His boot scrapes the top of my head rather than crushing my face. Get off, I'm going to stamp this scum out of existence. You can't, you'll get done for murder. Carl stands by Carl with his arms raised at chest height, fingers outstretched, placating his colleague. They move out of sight and I hear sounds of a scuffle and Carl utters a pained cry. They push past me again and I see Carl wrestling with his partner and inching his fingers towards the clips of his safety harness. Then they are out of the balcony and there is a winded um. And seconds later, a distant thump. There may be a scream, but there are so many shouts now, voices closer to Ellis Tower. The world seems to be dissolving into screams and heat. The air is unbearable. My scalp burns. Carl walks back into my eyeline. I notice his chin and chest are covered with a bib of bloody yellow bile and his eyes are watery and red. He looks demonic. What have you done? he asks me through tears. What do you mean, what have I done? Where's your friend? Please, you have to help. You're a fireman. Help, I'm being murdered, I scream. I roll my head to track Carl's location. His harness is impairing his movements. But he paces back and forth, pulling at his hair. With vacant eyes, he returns to his position above my head. He lifts his boot up high over my face and starts to bring it down. The only defensive manoeuvre I have at my disposal is to flinch. 
The tether line leading to Carl from the outside window whips tight and the harness jerks around his chest. As an awful sound of shearing metal cuts through the air, Carl is pulled straight out of my line of vision with a shout that follows him as he is jerked out of the gap in my flat window. Frantically, I crane my neck, try to hop my body around to see what is happening, but I can't move. Everywhere, the sounds of furious, insensible shouting grow louder. Car alarms and sirens compete for supremacy among the noises of carnage that rage just beyond my line of sight. I can only listen and watch the sun gazing down from a bright blue sky onto the sounds of chaos. In the distance, I see a contrail of a plane turned abruptly from its course and trace a path straight down. So thanks for listening, and if you like the sound of Andrew Shanahan's book Before and After, you can find it on Amazon, and I'll be including links in the show notes so you can buy the book and find out more about the author. So until next time, bye.